Today's episode of the WAC Podcast is brought to you by Hercules Tires, the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference. Now here are your hosts, Eric Danner and Rachel Vigil. What's going on, everybody? Eric Danner and Rachel Vigil coming at you from our homes on our very last couple of days of quarantine. We hope everybody is staying safe and doing well. We hope. Fingers crossed. We can we can only hope, but hope everybody is doing well. And we have a lot to talk about. Starting off with soccer, both of our soccer tournaments are going on at the same time. So it's been unique, Eric. I would say to see these happening in the spring. It's like a little bit warmer weather. Usually, we're kind of having to bundle up for the weather for yeah. our soccer tournaments, but they're actually dealing with a little bit of heat in both places, Vegas and Phoenix. And they're going on at the same time, where usually they're on different weeks. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit different as well. But yeah, it's. Uh, in the 90s in both places in Vegas and Phoenix, which you would imagine in the month of April, whereas uh, when we normally have the soccer tournaments in November, uh, most recently in Colorado Springs and in places like Seattle, can be a little chillier, especially at night. But uh, from what we've heard from boots on the ground, it's been a pretty nice weather in both places. I'll take it. I'll take it, especially because it's supposed to snow here in Colorado this week. So I kind of wish we were out there, but of course, safety is the number one top priority. But we do have some exciting news as Kyle Beckerman was hired for Utah Valley men's soccer after Greg Moss resigned. Have not yet heard word of what Greg Moss will be doing, but I know the Wolverines are very excited to have Kyle Beckerman at the helm. Yeah, that looked up uh, some info on Kyle Beckerman, you know, one an all-time great and one of the uh, Real Salt Lake uh best all-time players, uh, still uh, was playing uh, recently, as, as recently a, a year or two ago in uh, in the MLS. So he's got a uh, pedigree, he's got a name. Uh, so that'll be exciting for the folks at Utah Valley to have uh, Kyle Beckerman as their head coach moving forward for men's soccer. Yeah, he played professional soccer for 21 years. He retired in December, so not too long ago. And he finished as the Major League Soccer's all-time leader in regular season games played at 498, Eric. Games started 461 and minutes played as 41,000 minutes. So a top person. I know uh, Utah Valley has to be very excited for this hire. I was impressed when I saw it come across the headlines too. So excited to see what's going to happen in this next year now. And a former player for your Colorado Rapids as well. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Crazy. All the connections. It's such a small world. They always say that little tidbit, but it's so true that there are just so many connections all over the place. And uh, we actually have another hire too. So, well, I guess technically not another hire. One of the schools that is now entering into the WAC, which is Abilene Christian, lost their head coach or their head coach is moving on now to be the head coach at Utah. Yeah, Joe Golding, who had been at ACU for 10 years. Of course, the the Wildcats winning a game in the NCAA tournament over Texas, which led to the departure of Shaka Smart, who went to Marquette. Chris Baird from Texas Tech then goes to Texas. So it set off all kinds of uh, dominoes all over the place. But he gets the uh, opportunity at at UTEP. And, you know, looking at the message boards and the the rumor mill uh, Twitter stuff, uh, depending on what you believe, Chris Jans, name was in the hat as well there. So uh, good for New Mexico State uh, that Chris Jans is staying put in Las Cruces. Yes, and Mario Mocha got the job done by getting a contract extension through 2027 for Coach Jans. Uh, His base salary is remaining the same. However, his bonus is moving up. So wanted to keep him in Las Cruces and Mario was able to do that. Now we also have a team playing currently in the NCAAs, Eric. Exciting as Utah Valley is playing Texas State. 
They are. And this was something we talked about last week, Rachel, where mm-hmm. normally in, in a volleyball tournament where, where our top team is going to be playing someone like Stanford or a, a top five ranked team, not to say Texas State is not a very quality opponent, but they aren't a, a top five ranked team. So the, the, you figure there's a, a better potential to win a match in this this year's tournament. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, last I saw, they were actually uh, Texas State was leading Utah Valley as, as we record this. Well, fingers crossed. And uh, Eric, one thing I want to mention too, is I thought the power of social media, we've talked a little bit about this, but before Twitter and the Twitter world sphere took over, there were no games supposed to be called in the first round of the NCAA women's volleyball tournament. However, that got in out in the world and they said no. And now ESPN is covering all of the games there. So I just want to say that that's awesome because it's so deserving to have them have games be called live and nationally. Well, and I think it's, it's especially this year, Rachel, I mean, I, I know with the WAG Digital Network and as many games and matches as we show on there, I think it's kind of become a given that every single game, every single match mm-hmm. in those team sports are always going to be available somewhere. And the way that streaming has gone the special last four or five years, it, it should be doable. And mm-hmm. uh, kudos to the NCAA and ESPN for figuring that out because you're absolutely right. Those those players do deserve having those tournament uh, games up on uh, somewhere. In the, and in this particular case, they're on ESPN3. Yeah, it's really, really great to see. And uh, again, like you mentioned, huge shout out to the NCAA and ESPN for getting that one done. And uh, our last thing before we're going to toss it over to a break, Eric, is Grand Canyon having a walk-off homer to beat Arizona on Tuesday night. And this is amazing. Rachel uh, was in contact, and we'll hear from Roland Vargish in our final segment uh, of this show. Uh, After GCU defeated Chicago State, there's still an extra innings over at the baseball field uh, between the University of Arizona, ranked number 16 in the country, and Grand Canyon. And Michael Potter was the the kind of the normal play-by-play voice of GCU baseball, heads over to the uh, stadium and gets to see Chaney Ortiz have a solo walk-off home run in the 10th to uh, knock off Arizona. So what a big win for GCU. They're having a great season. And this is shaping up, as we've mentioned before, for a great tournament in Mesa, Arizona at Ho-Ho Cam Stadium, which is only, what, uh, geez, about month a month and, and a half, half away, away, maybe less than that. It's crazy. I can't believe it. Yeah. And I saw some of the highlights and the pictures, and it seemed like there were so many people in attendance. And I'm sure the atmosphere was so much fun. And it's just one of those big games that you know you get so excited about when you're like on a college campus. Everybody's excited and hyped. And then to have it end that way, I can't even imagine what it was like afterwards. So huge congrats to the Lopes. I'm sure it was so much fun. But we are now going to take a quick break. But when we return, we're going to be talking with Ben Wilson, the play by play for our men's soccer tournament in Vegas. We'll be right back. Hercules Tires is the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference and for over 65 years has been providing tires with unbeatable quality at an unmatched value. Whatever the vehicle and whatever the terrain, Hercules Tires invites you to ride on our strength. For a retailer near you, visit HerculesTires.com. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast. Eric Danner, Rachel Hill, joined by Ben Wilson, the play-by-play for our men's soccer tournament out in Las Vegas. Ben, how are you? Doing great. We had we had quite the first day of uh, of action. I mean, what better place? You're in Vegas. It's it's perfect weather this time. Kind of a, a stark contrast to uh, Colorado Springs a couple of uh, falls ago, right? Snow on the ground. So 
perfect conditions yesterday. Had two great games. We got, I mean, four goals in regulation. Can't ask for much more than that. And uh, should be a great semifinal slate we have Thursday. I cannot wait for that. But I want to talk about that PK game. You and I were texting after the match. You told me you've never called a PK game. So what was your, <laughs> your thoughts on that? No, I mean, it's, look, not only is it is it PKs, I mean, just the, the nature of, of how intense that is, but you add on top of that the fact that it's win or go home. You've got you know, two teams that were playing so well coming in. And, and I, you know, the thing I took away from talking to all of our coaches coming in was they all felt like any team could win the tournament, and, and especially teams like San Jose State Air Force who were in such good form. Spartans had won four straight, Air Force three straight. And it's funny, you get to a PK and it's like, you just throw everything you've seen over the last 110 minutes out the window. I mean, it really is. It's just raw. Who can score? Who can make a save? And I, and I really felt like for a guy like Kanoa, likewise, you know, he made, uh, he made it was our strong move, uh, play of the match, makes the, the save that sets up the game winner. He was peppered with shots the, the whole day. I mean, I think it, and San Jose State ended up, I think, with 24 shots. Average about 11 on the season, and, and they took a ton of looks. They had a, a lot of great looks at goal. It's, I mean, they scored obviously twice, Rudy Castro in the first half. But yeah, you get to a PK scenario, and I think the, the thing besides just the finality of it and how intense it was that stood out to me was a lot of you know a lot of chatter all match, a lot of great atmosphere from from the players and benches. But we got to PKs, it was as silent as could be. I mean, you could hear a pin drop, which was kind of tough. I mean, we're right next to the strip where our field is. The airport's right there too. And it was as silent as I can ever remember, you know, feeling at, at a soccer match. So it was an incredible atmosphere. And, you know, for likewise, it was a great moment for him. At the same time, you just felt gutted for the San Jose State players. I mean, you know, the, the combination of emotions there, they were to, to work as hard as they did to, you know, to, to have the type of year they did. And then for it to end right there, you know, with basically one kick deciding it, it's, it's so tough, but that's really the beauty of PKs. I mean, it brings out the best and, you know, and the worst as far as emotions go, you know, for both sides. We're talking with Ben Wilson, our play-by-play -play voice at men's soccer. Ben, Rachel and I were talking uh, the last few weeks leading up to this. Some of these matchups we're looking at, we couldn't believe, you know, Seattle U against UNLV in the first round, Air Force against San Jose State in the first round. These are, you know, potential championship matchups in other years and such great matchups we're having. Uh, with that Air Force, uh, San Jose State, they had a chance to talk to Doug Hill, the head coach of the Falcons. What, what did it seem like the – the Air Force uh, mentality was? Is it kind of they're playing with house money as, as a sixth seed getting into the semifinals? Yeah, I, I honestly, I feel like, and he kind of explained it as though they, they felt like their season broke into two parts and they, just the way the scheduling played out, he looked at it as they played all the top half of the teams in the standings right away. And, and they did struggle early, but he, he felt like they made a, a big, uh, you know, one of their big lineup changes. We saw London Agadu, he was their one first team all-conference player as a defender, but they moved him up a little further on the pitch, more of a defensive central midfielder, but giving him the freedom to kind of attack and push higher up the pitch. And it finally started to, I guess, open, you know, the dam broke a little bit from their offensive output. They were really struggling to score goals. Teams would sit back on them, make it really tough. And, and that sort of changed things because Coach O was saying they started finally scoring some goals early in matches, which opened up things a little bit more. I think that combined with the fact they, I mean, again, he felt like they were fortunate. They played some of the teams at the, the bottom of the standings toward the end of the year and got into a good kind of rhythm and, and just a sense of belief in their team. I think the one thing that has stood out to me with this year's Air Force team, uh, Eric, is that normally they're very senior heavy. They normally have eight to nine seniors and it's it kind of traditional for a four-year program. They don't really do red shirts. They have the option, you know, some guys can go to the, the prep Air Force prep school for a year. 
since the whole idea is once you go to the academy, you're going to be graduating in four years. So just by nature, not many underclassmen get to have that opportunity to play right away. This year was totally different. They only had four seniors, had to rotate in a lot more players than they normally do just because of the truncated year. So a lot of these underclassmen, I feel like, too, kind of grew into their, into their uh, positions. We saw a number of them uh, step up in, in big moments yesterday, kind of, you know, combining with some of the senior leaders they have. So I don't know if it's really quite uh, lightning in a bottle, so to speak. I think it's more just been a gradual uh, increase in you know, their overall productivity and just their general belief. It really, we saw it come to a head yesterday. In both matches yesterday, it seemed like there was kind of heroes for both teams. So who impressed you the most, would you say? Yeah, you know, you talk about you know, heroics, at least on the Seattle side, the big talking point was they had so many players out and that's just been the, the microcosm of this season. We thought we would, I think it was five of their six midfielders and attacking players who would be out. It ended up being, they got one of them, Abdul Kufu, just cleared right before the match. It was four of their top players, uh, including Noe Meza, who was first team all whack, one of the best attacking players in the conference. And you just had to feel like you know, you're behind the eight ball. You've got so many of these guys out. You're, you're on the, basically a road match taking on UNLV, the tournament host. Uh, but <laughs> you think about what happened with uh, Manir Hussain. Here's a guy who, he scores the game winning goal. And, and to me, that was the story of yesterday. I felt like you know, from an individual perspective that jumped out to, to me because he was coming off an ankle injury, had not been cleared to play. There were also the COVID protocols as well. He literally gets on a flight in Seattle at 7 a.m. yesterday. Keep in mind, the match kicks off at 11 in Las Vegas. It's you know, about a two, two and a half hour flight. So the coaches hadn't seen him. Teammates hadn't seen him. He lands at the airport, comes straight to the pitch, gets there with, I didn't say, a half hour, 45 minutes before the match. Like, we had already been there for an hour. He finally rolls up. Uh, he was he had, a, had a walking boot on, still trying to support his ankle. Comes off the bench, had no idea how much time they'd get out of him. And against the run of play, UNLV had all the possession. I think it was 76% in the first half. Scores the game winner. It was one of those moments that I feel like you only see in a, in a winner go home type scenario, whack type uh, tournament. That to me was was just unbelievable to watch. And uh, and we kind of talked about it on the Air Force side with uh, with likewise, who really single handedly kept them in that match. And uh, Lathan Spadafora had a had a great goal that kind of took uh, they they took San Jose State by surprise. That really changed the whole tenor of the match because once he hit that tap in. We were tied 2-2, that, that belief I talked about for Air Force kind of picked up. And um, also a great story for Tristan Traeger, who was, he led the conference in goals last year, hadn't scored a single goal all season, and had really been, uh, had been struggling just to find the back of the net, ends up scoring their first goal, and then scores the winner in, uh, in PK. So it was a, a great uh, kind of redemption story to see for him. Yeah, back to that Hussein story, Ben. I mean, that, that's, that's one that's going to be talked about for a long time. I can't imagine getting on a plane in the morning and, and not only playing, but playing and scoring the winning goal after he's had an injury. That, that's one of the most unbelievable stories we've had all year. Yeah, I know. And the thing was, and we, we saw him in a, he was in a walking boot too after the match. So I, he's clearly less than hundred percent. It's not like it was just a tap it or anything too. I mean, he, he gets the ball. It was sort of a weird play where Alex acted Petronatus. He's a center back kind of just gets the ball and had all sorts of space. He just starts dribbling and he sort of starts looking around like, uh, this is not my normal position what do I do and he finds Hussein who was on the edge of the box kind of falling backward his momentum was going away from goal and I mean it was like as as good of a you talk about like world class on, on the D1 level just to be falling back curl a ball top corner 
around a really good keeper in, in uh, Miguel, Miguel Duenas Jr. And, and we kind of asked Coach Fewing about that after the match. We're like, all right, you've been, you've been here 27 years. I'm sure this has to be new for you. And he just said, yep, that's just the way this season has been. And it's, uh, he's not even sure who we'll have available tomorrow. It's kind of the big unknown even now uh, going forward. They're still going to be shorthanded against a, an undefeated Grand Canyon team. But yeah, it was, that's it to us. It was just unbelievable to watch that play out. And you could see too the emotion. I mean, the celebration, they were, they were so excited for him to be able to just get that opportunity and, and to make the most of it. One thing I also noticed yesterday in both of the matches was it seems like one team would score a goal and literally within two minutes, you would have another goal. Like they were going so fast back to back. What could you tell from the emotion on the team? Like, was there some chippiness going on or was the plays just working for him? Yeah. And it's like, it was a broadcaster's dream, honestly. Just, <laughs> I know it's a, it's a selfish thing to say, but the last thing you want is these tight zero zero type matches. I joked with, uh, with Philip Visa, our color analyst for the weekend. I'm like, I don't want to be nicknaming you nil nil Phil here. All right. We, we want some goals. And I think a lot of times it happens in these matches, Rachel, kind of to your point is it's very cagey, so to speak. Teams are feeling each other out and it really depends. Like if you have a match that goes nil nil comes, you know, say 60th, 70th, 70th minute, all of a sudden you really get that sense of, all right, next goal is probably going to be your winner. But we saw yesterday, to your point, goals early, not just in the first half, but early in the first half. And I think what happens, when, and at least from the emotional standpoint of it, you've got the winner go home type mentality. These teams, I think, who were behind, it was not so much a wake up call as a, a, a call to urgency and, and a realization of, all right, we really need to get on the front foot. We need a quick answer. And in the case of, of Seattle, it was that I think was was such a surprising response so quickly because UNLV had been an incredible defensive team. They had not allowed a goal. And I think it was over by the time that goal was scored, it was over 460 minutes at full strength that they had not conceded at home all year. And it, like you say, I mean, emotionally, we saw the intensity kind of ratchet up right after those. But it just gave a, a totally different feel for a match. And all of a sudden you had both like both teams pushing back and forth. Both UNLV and San Jose State, neither of those teams were, were putting a ton of shots, you, you know, whether on target or off target all year. Both of those teams doubled their season average shot outputs in, in just in regulation basically yesterday. So it really goes to show you saw some of these early goals and all of a sudden, I mean, bam, things just were, were going end to end stuff. Uh, and, and the air, what we right before the, the Air Force goal, you look at that match, they're down 2 nothing, 29th minute. And I could hear Simon Tobin, the San Jose State coach, yelling out, all right, next 10 minutes are, are huge, guys. We got, we got to be solid these next 10 minutes. And he was, he was right on point because his team concedes two minutes later, gave up another goal, I think, about 10 minutes after that. And the whole, the whole tone changes and, and things really uh, tightened up. So it was, it was fascinating to see that play out. I, I certainly, selfishly again, I <laughs> hope we get that the rest of our matches. But it, it takes a match from being that kind of predictable, low-scoring, kind of tightly played match into an unpredictable back-and-forth affair, and that's really what we got in both those games. I'm looking ahead to Thursday, Ben. You mentioned Grand Canyon, Seattle U in that first matchup at 11 a.m. Shell Assignment, the story there for GCU, or one of the stories, we should say. A long-time uh, coach, he announced before the season began he's going to be retiring. It's Coach of the Year. The Lopes are undefeated, and now they're playing Seattle U, a team that's had a lot of success in the tournament over the years. Again, a different team, and you mentioned uh, Pete Fewing said he's not sure who's going to be available uh, in that match on Thursday, but uh, that, that should be a pretty exciting one at 11 a.m. 
Yeah, I think that's probably the best storyline, at least from our, our two matches, is you've got the defending champs. Try, you know, they were preseason favorites as well. And despite, it's one of those things just from a pedigree standpoint, even with all the injuries and the guys are out, they still carry themselves like the defending champs. They expect to be there. And yeah, you have Grand Canyon trying to unseat them. It's it's funny how, and I was we talked about this in the Air Force match yesterday, historically we've seen in a lot of these tournaments that top seed, especially teams that come in uh, undefeated or with a really a really strong record have actually struggled Seattle's kind of the the one team that's been able to to really push through they were the, the previous undefeated team to do it two years ago uh, they had just the one draw and the 10 wins in the regular season and you know, they they come out and you know they, they kind of helped serve uh, so to speak and you know they won uh, their conference made it to the second round of the NCAAs but in a lot of these tournaments like Air Force their last two NCAA tournament appearances were actually at large bursts when they were the top seed had been had been upset so usually there is a lot of pressure especially when you've got a team that is undefeated that's you've got the the uh, you know you have the, the bullseye so to speak top 15 in the country but the the, the narrative here with uh, Heinemann that you mentioned I think that's the one thing though that probably changes it a little bit I think he admitted even before the, the last couple matches he was as nervous as he'd ever been since he was coaching FC Dallas in an MLS cup I mean that's pretty pretty a pretty big time comparison to make and I think when, see, when you think about Grand Canyon, he even admitted he, he felt like they've really played kind of with, with his, his final season in mind this whole year, and they really wanted to make it about the coach. And I think you've seen for, for the teams that have had success this year, they've kind of focused in on, a, on like a singular theme because it has been so tough just to find consistency, and especially soccer, one of those sports, so many players from the international uh, different countries. And so getting them all together was really tough in, in the COVID era. So I think a team like Grand Canyon that's banded together, I think they have to be considered the favorites just because of that aspect. But at the same time, you have two of the best goalies who will be squaring off here. And, and we, uh, we, we talked about that kind of uh, ad, ad nauseum, at least on the Seattle side uh, yesterday with, with how good they were at the back. Have to think this is going to be, you know, one of those 1-0, 2-1 type matches. And I'm, I'm fascinated to see it because, like you say, I mean, Hyman, and uh, feeling on the other side, it's over, what, 50 years of, of experience. These guys know what it takes to win. And I'm expecting just one of these epic-type clashes that's uh, probably in a nip and tuck, really physical. And it, it's probably going to be, uh, I would assume, decided by a single goal here. And our second match of the day is Air Force coming off the high of PKs. And they're going up against the WAC Offensive Player of the Year with UTRGV. What can fans expect out of that match? Yeah, I, you know, I honestly think I'm, I'm tempted to say UTRGB might have the most talent just top to bottom of, of any of the six teams. The, it, it's been a fantastic rise for them. And I will actually be talking with Coach Hancock here uh, shortly this afternoon. A team that was picked eighth in the preseason, uh, had a, a ton of guys graduate from last year, haven't had a ton of historical success. They're, they're trying to, to close in on it would be their first ever NCAA tournament appearance. But I think when you look at them, they've got that rare combo where you have uh, one of the, you have a, a top offensive player and, and a really good keeper as well. And so, you know, UTRGB, they've, uh, they've got what it takes. I think at the front and the back, they have uh, two of the top goal scorers in the whack. And they've really, you talk about the sense of belief on the Air Force side. I think that has really translated to, to UTRGB this year because they, uh, they've only lost the one match. They beat Seattle in the season opener, which I really feel like just went, went a long way toward their overall confidence. They're ranked for the first time in school history. So everything sort of seems to be coming together for them. And so it's like the one really good feel-good story against the other really good feel-good story in Air Force who, I mean, they were ninth in, out of 11 teams, six matches in. I mean, it, it was not, un, not uh, unthinkable to think they might not even be in the tournament. And this is a year where when 
you've got a lot of variants. I mean, Utah Valley was a finalist uh, last year, didn't even make it uh, for, for the top six. So Air Force, I know, felt fortunate just to just to be in the spot. I think you have two teams who I definitely advantage to UTRGV. You're, you're, you have the rest. They, do, they don't go very deep at all. They only play a couple guys off the bench a game. I, I have to give them the upper hand just because Air Force coming off that emotional, draining double overtime game. But we've seen teams, you know, the, the bye can hurt teams sometimes just from the you know, the nerves sort of pick up and you're kind of waiting to get your footing. And Air Force was, was just here. They won a game in dramatic fashion. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see any result. But it's really, I think, two teams who, at least in the second half of the year, have uh, impressed me the most from, you know, if you're looking outside of the, the Grand Canyon angle. Yeah, William McKeo getting the uh, Lack Offensive Player of the Year and Brahim Hancock, as you mentioned, Ben, uh, what a tremendous first year uh, head coach mm -hmm. at UTRGV. And then the championship, all these games will be on ESPN+. Plus. Championship will be on Saturday, so we'll be looking forward to that as well. Ben, I want to thank you for taking some time out. Uh, good job on Tuesday, and we look forward to hearing your call uh, with Philip on uh, Thursday and Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, uh, Rachel and Eric. It's going to be a, a blast. Uh, we're lo really looking forward to it, and hopefully, we get more goals and uh, more more excitement. That's always the hope. Should be a great match. All right, that is Ben Wilson coming up next. We're going to talk to Roland Vargish. Break down some women's soccer listening to the WAC Podcast. We would like to thank our sponsors of the WAC Podcast, Hercules Tires and Adidas. Now, back to Eric and Rachel. Welcome back to the WAC podcast, Eric Danner, Rachel Vio coming at you. And we have a very special guest in Roland Vargish, who is the analyst for the women's soccer tournament out in Phoenix. How are you, Roland? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Doing great. Happy. I mean, you're out in Phoenix. So how's the weather? It's gorgeous. It's warm. It's a little bit windy, but it's beautiful. It's typical Valley of the Sun weather. Roland, so... we're, we're both very uh, jealous of this because most of snow here in Denver, uh, maybe tonight, uh, maybe tomorrow as well. So we wish... We were in the Valley of the Sun for more than one reason, as uh, Rachel and I have discussed our illnesses on the uh, podcast over the last few weeks. Would much rather be in the Valley of the Sun than in the Valley of the hallway of the house uh, currently. So, but uh, in that tournament, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. So Tuesday was our first matches. Uh, if people didn't watch the, the games, you would think there were two blowouts and maybe you could make a case for that. But let's start with the, the first match of the day, which was New Mexico State taking on UTRGV. The Aggies had not won a tournament match since 2014. UTRGV, uh, they had beaten New Mexico State twice during the regular season, but uh, did not turn out that way. Tell us uh, your synopsis of the game uh, between those two teams. Well, I thought it was a really fantastic game. New Mexico State were sort of, they sort of fell back and UTRGV had a lot of the ball and then New Mexico State were able to just use their speed, get in behind. They scored some really good goals, ended up winning. But I mean, a really, really tight game, really close game. UTRGV, I thought, played really well for big stretches of the game. But in the end, New Mexico State, just too much firepower going forward. And it was a great way to start the tournament. It was a really enjoyable back and forth game. Eric, it's funny that you mentioned for people that may not have been able to watch because I, I'm covering the men's soccer tournament this week, so I have not had an opportunity. I've seen some of the highlights, but I haven't been able to watch any of the full matches. So, yeah, I want to hear about the second match now with Chicago State and Grand Canyon 5-2. Give us your synopsis on that one. Well, I think we 
came in thinking Chicago State winless were just going to sit back and they were just going to get sort of run over. And that happened early. I mean, two minutes in, GCU scored and we're looking at each other in the booth going, oh boy, here we go. This one could get out of hand. But Chicago State, they came out in the second half. They got a couple of goals. They played really well for sort of fits and starts of that match. And it ended up being a really good match. GCU, clearly the superior team. But Chicago State, they acquitted themselves really well. And GCU, they've set up an awesome matchup here as we go forward into tomorrow. Yeah, and I think you pointed out during the broadcast, Rowan, that it was, or maybe it was Michael, that it, you know, obviously was was 3-0 uh, in favor of Grand Canyon. But then you take away that, it was 2-2 two two the rest of the match. And for Chicago State, I mean, it's it's a moral victory. But for them to play relatively well against Grand Canyon, it, while GCU's at home, that, that's a pretty good uh, starting point anyway for the Cougars. Yeah, it certainly is. And they scored two really good goals as well. I mean, those were goals that any player on any team here in the Western Athletic Conference would be proud of. I mean, they were really top shelf goals. So I thought Chicago State played really well. They just had some individual mistakes. They just had some some breaks go against them. But I mean, I, I thought Chicago, Chicago State really acquitted themselves well. A huge, or I should say, I don't want to say blow, but um, unfortunate news comes out of Seattle who they're not going to be playing with their top goal scorer, which is Sydney Carr. She uh, was around somebody who tested positive for COVID and due to the COVID guidelines, she won't be playing on a Thursday. How does that affect their momentum going forward, Roland? I think that's the big question for tomorrow. Sydney Carr is not just one of the best players in the WAC. She's one of the best players in the whole country. She's been absolutely brilliant this year. Uh, huge credit to Seattle U for bringing her up there to the Pacific Northwest. Her out of that game, I mean, that changes the offense a lot for Seattle U. They're going up against a team with momentum, Seattle U having the first round by. So Sydney Carr being out of there, they've just got, it, it's cliche, but they've got to have other players step up. They've got to have some strength and depth, which they do have with the Red Hawks. We know for a long time that Seattle U has been one of the class teams in the Western Athletic Conference. So it's going to be interesting to see, though, what they do without their main player going forward. We're talking with Roland Vargas. Roland, I don't know if you had a chance to watch the men's match uh, before your, your three o'clock match where Seattle U knocked off UNLV. Now, if Julie Woodward of Seattle U needs any advice on, on how to deal with uh, some COVID protocols, uh, just needs to call Pete Fewing. They were down five players in that match against UNLV, including Noe Meza, uh, first team all wax selection. They fly in a freshman uh, that morning and they have an 11 a.m. start and he scores the winning goal. So so maybe uh, Julie Woodward, uh, maybe she can call on somebody to fly in uh, uh, tomorrow morning. Yeah, she might have to. We'll talk to her <laughs> soon for our pregame interview. But uh, that just speaks to the, the strength and depth of, of Seattle U on both sides, on both the men's and the women's teams. I mean, they have so many quality players. They recruit so well. They do it every single year. And being able to go in there, as you said, missing players like Noe Meza. I mean, he's one of the best players in the WAC as well. So Great win for Seattle U, but also a great win for Air Force yesterday. <laughs> you have to get that <laughs> in, don't you? Had to. To give people a little background, uh, Roland is is a uh, Colorado Springs. Uh, well, you're not a native because you've, you've been all over the world, but that's your current hometown, and that's uh, the team that you cover. So uh, you cover men's soccer, but you also cover a lot of different uh, sports. Tell us a little bit about your uh, your broadcasting background there at the Academy. Yeah, I'm all over the place at the Air Force Academy. Luckily enough, the last couple of years, I've been able to do the wing open boxing, which is one of my favorite events to do at Air Force. You don't see a lot of boxing at the collegiate level. I've also been working some gymnastics events. Again, don't see a ton of gymnastics at the collegiate level. Seen some uh, some world-class gymnasts. We had Oklahoma and Stanford coming in. They won. They've been splitting the last few national championships. They've got a 
bunch of guys who are going to the Olympics or potentially going to the Olympics if we can get those worked out in Tokyo. So just been all over the place with Air Force. It's been a fantastic opportunity and one of the favorite things I've done in my career. I want to hear how will they match up against UTRGV on Thursday? It's going to be difficult, you know, with these teams that have the first round by and then just those couple days of rest, especially after you play in a place like here in Phoenix or you play out in Vegas with that heat, it just it saps you. But Air Force do have some strength and depth. They haven't had any issues really with injuries going into this tournament. So I think the Falcons are going to be able to to have a good match. Getting back to the women's tournament, uh, Seattle U uh, taking on Grand Canyon. We've seen Julie Woodward uh, take on uh, Chris Sissel many times in the WAC tournament, and this has been his kryptonite, uh, Roland, as he was 0-5 against Julie Woodward in the WAC tournament. And in fact, she defeated him uh, three times when he was at UMKC for the championship. What's it going to take for GCU uh, to potentially knock off the Red Hawks and get to the championship? Use what they built here at home. It was a, a split season here between Seattle U and GCU. GCU was able to win the last game. So those were up in Seattle. That's a really difficult place to go and play. So I think GCU really, they were able to rest a lot of players yesterday. They kept making constant substitutions, both in the first and the second half. So yes, they had to play a game. Yes, they're on short rest, but they were able to keep a lot of players fresh there in that game yesterday against Chicago State. I think GCU has a real chance that they can use some of that energy of the youth, that energy of some of those fresh legs and take on a Seattle U team that, as we mentioned, has been struggling with some players out, some big key players out for the Red Hawks. Now, when you look at Chris Sissel, like Eric mentioned, he was at UMKC prior. This is his first year with Grand Canyon. What differences and similarities have you seen from their game, like remaining from UMKC to here? Well, he, he has a system that he wants to play. You know, his players, they push high up the field. He gets the wing backs forward. He plays a really aggressive attacking brand of soccer. And you've seen that throughout Chris Sissel's career. He's a fantastic head coach. And then to have him down here with the resources of GCU and to be able to play in that stadium, which is a, a fantastic stadium, you can see GCU going, moving on a, a, to a different level with Chris Sissel at the helm. Yeah, we heard from uh, Pete Fewing this week saying uh, what – immaculate shape the uh, field at UNLV was uh, this week. Do you see something similar there at GCU? I know you've talked a little bit there, watering the field in between matches and, and keeping it in really good shape. Yeah, this field's world-class here at GCU. It's, it's far and above some of the fields you see in the USL, even in the professional game and men's soccer across the United States. It's a fantastic stadium, and the, the playing surface is absolutely immaculate. How have the players handled the heat that is Arizona? <laughs> Yeah, so we didn't actually have mandatory water breaks yesterday because the humidity was so low that it didn't hit that heat index for the mandatory water breaks, yet it was pretty hot, and I felt like they maybe should have had the water breaks. In the first game in the mid-afternoon, there was an injury halfway through that first half, and both teams used it as a, as a way to sort of have an impromptu timeout, get some water and things like that, and then you see a lot of the ice towels going on the neck during halftime and things. So I think the players have been handling it well. We didn't see too many players like suffering from cramp or anything like that yesterday. So I think the teams have been just sort of hydrating on their off days and doing their best. But the conditions yesterday, at least, were perfect for soccer. Just a little bit of breeze. And then as that sun started to go down, the conditions couldn't have been better. Our first matchup on Thursday will be at 3 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. That is New Mexico State taking on Utah Valley. Utah Valley is another school that's had a lot of success in the WAC tournament. New Mexico State, their first win since 2014 and first win for head coach Rob Bartz in the tournament at New Mexico State. 
Yeah, and New Mexico State, they played so well yesterday. Obviously, they're going to be the underdog in this match, but they've got the momentum. They Their game plan worked perfectly yesterday. Obviously, Utah Valley will have watched that, seen what they need to do to slow down the Aggies. But I think New Mexico State does have a puncher's chance in that game. And then on our fourth match of the tournament, Grand Canyon versus Seattle, you, we've talked a little bit about this matchup, but what can fans expect, Roland? I think a back and forth game. I think despite the players that Seattle, you were going to be missing, they still have a ton of quality. We mentioned that. And the fact that that season series was split one-to-one, I think is really going to add some spice and really going to add some character to that match tomorrow evening. It should be just a perfect event with GCU being at home. They've got the momentum. They've got a ton of confidence. And then Seattle, you coming in a little bit bruised, a little bit wounded with some of the players they have out. I think it's setting up to be a real back and forth game that could see a lot of goals. Roland, we've been able to talk to all the head coaches. As you mentioned, we'll be talking to a couple more later on today. But uh, with Coach Bartz, uh, you guys uh, bonded over uh, your what is what, your uh, Premier League uh, fandom. Yeah, my fandom of Manchester United. I had my zebra pants yesterday. And then Coach Sissel as well, <laughs> giving me a shout out from field level when he saw those and asking me if those were Man United pants. So those have become uh, quite the hit down here in Phoenix. <laughs> We're going to need a picture of that on social media, please. I would appreciate a tag. I can do that. (laughs) Well, hey, Roland, uh, keep up the good work. Uh, Always good to hear you calling soccer. It's always uh, very entertaining, some of your phrases and and the way you're able to break things down quickly, especially on goals. That's that's such a hard thing to do uh, as a broadcaster. Really enjoyed uh, listening to you and uh, Michael Potter's conversation yesterday. I really appreciate it. I thought it was just a fantastic, perfect way to start this WAC Women's Tournament this year. We had two really good games and two games that couldn't have been more different, but were both in the end really enjoyable, fun watches. I think we're going to have more of it tomorrow evening as well. It's been so far just two games in. It's been a fantastic tournament, and I'm just honored to be a part of it. Roland, I have one request. Uh, for people that don't know, Roland and I worked together in Seattle at, what, two years ago now? I think two years ago, uh, we had made a fun game where I I gave Roland a word and he had to incorporate it into the broadcast. So Roland, in honor of me not being there, I'm going to give you a word that I would like to have you incorporate on Thursday or Saturday, whichever day you choose. Uh, But we're going to go with like, I'll make it something easy-ish. Let's go with like pineapple or something. Okay. I can do that. Oh yeah. Okay. 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 Perfect. That's what I like to hear. I can't wait to hear, hear the call. Okay, it's easier than some requests I get at Air Force where they want spatula or something like this. Pineapple is actually, like, you can work that one in. That, that I was be- going with Squidward for a second, but I figured I would give it, make it a little bit easier. Pineapple. Yeah, right. No, pineapple it is. You'll hear it. Maybe for the oh. championship, Rach. Squidward. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> we have a lot of fun here in the whack in case people don't realize that. <laughs> we sure do. That Seattle trip was amazing, and I wish you guys were here in Phoenix. It's just been, uh, like I said, GCU's done a great job hosting it so far through the first day and it's been really nice down here and I hope you guys are feeling a little bit better and I hope the snow isn't too deep up there in the Rocky Mountains. Fingers crossed. Well, Roland, thanks for your time again and best of luck on your call tomorrow. Thank you guys. Stay well. I'll talk to you soon. That is Roland Vargas. I want to thank him for joining us. Also, Ben Wilson, who was on the show today. And I want to thank everybody for listening to the Black Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And check out our website at waxsports.com.